Uh, last week, last few weeks, we've been working through uh, Jesus' origin story about where he came from, uh, who he is, and why he's come. Uh, but we also talked some about this key lens. I mean, we talked about, if you remember this image from last week, about each story is like a light. And when you realize, when you hear the one story, it's good. But when you realize the story in context of all the other stories, it's like these uh, lights wrapped around these fence posts. They have structure. They begin to uh, not only become beautiful, but share a meaning and guide us as well. They give us a lens from which to read the rest of Luke's gospel. I've been thinking some about it this week and thinking that uh, as I've been reading and like that, that I'm in that I'm ready for this next step of Luke. I want to hear more of what Luke is going to say, what he's going to teach us about Jesus. I want to get started. Uh, In this uh, morning, this morning we start looking at the next part, the next passage in Luke. It's uh, uh, John the Baptist coming, talking about preparing the way of the Lord. And it gets me wondering, how do we do that? How do we prepare the way of the Lord? How do we prepare the way of the Lord in the world around us? Like what sort of things do we do to prepare God's way for him? Uh, Not only that, but how do we prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives? What sort of things can we do to make it easy or to facilitate Jesus to enter more into our lives to shape who we are and how we live? I wonder if any of you have ever asked that question. How do we prepare, how do I prepare the way of the Lord in my life, in the world around me? Have you ever wondered what it looks like, us, looks like for us to do this, to make the world around us ready? Now, I, can, I have to admit, I don't know about you, but it can feel pretty overwhelming. Uh, we live in this, this small little place in the world, uh, not easy to get to. And you start thinking, like, you know, how do we prepare the world for Jesus here where we live? Um, not, but not only are we prepared, but we're called to do that. Where do we start? I think maybe even more importantly, how do we prepare the way of the Lord in our lives? so that Jesus has full access to us, to shape us, to make us uh, faithful people. Uh, How do we remove these barriers? Now this morning I want to get at some of these questions, Uh, so let's get into God's Word. If you want to, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. It's also in your uh, sermon guide, the little paper that you you have when you walked in, uh, the passage that we're going to be working through this morning. All right, so it begins with this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... When Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eritrea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene. So tetrarch means four, uh, ruler. Uh, Tet is four and uh, uh, four rulers. So the four rulers of these four regions uh, around uh, Israel. Uh, So these four regions are looked after by these four guys, and sometimes they work together, sometimes they didn't. Uh, This is just to give us an understanding of who were the political leaders when John was getting started. Then too, it says here, during the high high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, which is an an interesting thing, he had two high priests that year. So uh, I want to make a point here first is that uh, this story begins in human history. Notice that Luke doesn't begin with once upon a time. He doesn't begin with once upon a time there was a beautiful story or a wonderful land. He actually begins with rulers in human history. So we're talking about a real event here. And for those of you who recognize this, neither does Luke begin with a long time ago in a galaxy far away. He's not talking about myths or science fiction. He's talking about our history, human history. He's talking about events that were happening right around uh, 28 or 29 A.D., 
but most importantly, and this is the part that uh, I had some help from commentaries this week reading, is that this beginning, naming the rulers, is how the books of the prophets begin. So uh, when certain prophets says this prophet spoke during the reign of Hezekiah or during the reign of, of um, other uh, leaders of Israel, and so this is a kind of a prophetic beginning to John's ministry here, signaling to us that he is speaking uh, the, the words that the Lord has given him. And then all this comes to this key phrase here. It says, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the desert. It's important for us to know this is initiated. This is started by God. This is not just John saying, Hey, you know what would be great is if I started telling people these things. He's actually receiving a word from God and speaking it transferring it to us. Now, check out this clip. I want to show you guys this, especially you uh, younger people, that uh, some information about John and who he is. fearless preacher who followed the example of a prophet from 800 years earlier named Elijah. Here's what the Gospel of Matthew says about John. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repents, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Matthew 3, 1 through 5. John helped create a spiritual fervor among many people in Judea. He rejected the corrupt priesthood in Jerusalem and sought the Judean wilderness instead. Now, John the Baptist's ministry was located somewhere near here in the Jordan River Valley, about a day's walk from Jerusalem. Now, the presence of John the Baptizer in the Judean wilderness was seen by many to be the fulfillment of prophecies made by Isaiah and Malachi. Hundreds of years earlier, these Jewish prophets predicted a man in the desert who would prepare a way for the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah writes of voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. Luke tells us that John went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, as is written in the book in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now, John's calling people to the wilderness here. This is a lot like a uh, prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah, that he's out here, and you know, the, the idea of him wearing camel's hair and a belt, uh, this is him stepping out of the way people did things at his time, saying, I'm not going to live this way, in a way to, as a way to not only say words, but actually do things that challenged people. So, uh, John's out in the wilderness, 
And he's preaching a baptism. Actually, he's performing baptism. He's dipping people in the Jordan River. Uh, and a baptism of repentance, meaning asking for forgiveness, and the forgiveness of sin. The people were coming out to him, realizing that things weren't right in the world around them or in themselves, and they're coming out to him looking for help. And so John uh, begins by, um, actually Luke connects John with this voice uh, from Isaiah, uh, these words, the prophetic words, and he says this, he says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all mankind or all humankind will see God's salvation. Now, this comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to 5 in the Old Testament. And I want to just break it down actually into two parts. The first part here, a voice calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now this actually, these words are spoken to us. So this is the prophet speaking to us. This is in the second, second person. This is not that some people should do this. He's saying it to us. Do these things. Prepare the way of the Lord. Um, but also, too, then there's a second part here. It says, Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. Now, I want to zoom in here at this, this part, um, this second part. One, these are the things that God will do. This is sort of how God will change the landscape as he comes. Did you catch the difference in the beginning? Let me just go back. Uh, The first part here is the voice saying, you prepare the way of the Lord. The second part here is speaking of what God will do. Now it's interesting because he's going to change the landscape, so he's going to make, prepare his way, basically make it easy for him to come. But it's interesting because as I was studying these words, it occurred to me that the Greek words used here um, actually kind of have a double meaning. I wanted to show you this. <clears throat> so this is, this is how it reads in English here. This is how it reads like kind of more literally in Greek. It said, Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be humbled or made low. The word typenos, which is behind the word made low here, is actually, uh, it has two meanings. To humble, to make low, to bow down, or to actually lower. And it says, uh, he, will, he will make the crooked into straight. And in the English uh, here they say the crooked roads, but in, in um, Greek it's more, a little bit more ambiguous. And crooked in the Old Testament, in, in the scriptures, crooked was often used too, not just for roads, but for people who were crooked. You know how you get the word a crook, that person was a crook. Um, but the person is not honest, that they're not right, they're not doing things right. So he's saying the crooked will be made straight and the rough into smooth ways. And so there's this sort of subtle double meaning not only will God change the landscape, but he'll also change society around us. <clears throat> but all this leads to the key point here that all mankind will see God's salvation, the Savior that God has sent. All right. So um, the next thing John says here, he says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. Um, interesting, catch this. He says, <clears throat> you brood of vipers, Whoa, <laughs> that's intense, right? That's like him saying, oh, sorry, too fast. It's like him saying, you pile of snakes. Snakes, anybody here like to be called a snake? No, John is a pretty straightforward guy. He's prophetic, like a prophet from the Old Testament. And he's speaking to them. Uh, now, from other gospels like Matthew, for example, when he says brood of vipers, especially John, uh, he also says that um, John, or sorry, Matthew tells us that it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees 
who'd come out that John is referring to as the brood of vipers. Um, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those were like the religious leaders of Jesus' time. And they were sort of like the religious know-it-alls. And they were pretty arrogant about it. And they were really distant from God because they thought they already knew everything. So, uh, John says to them, You pit of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What are you doing out here is essentially what he's saying. What are you guys doing out here? This is for people who are serious about following God. And it's true, some of them might have been coming to follow God more faithfully, but some of them were just coming to size up John to see what sort of troublemaker he was. So John keeps preaching to the group, to the crowds that are around him. He says, produce fruit keeping with repentance. Now, this is basically his uh, way of saying, keep doing the things that we do when we follow God faithfully. Do the sort of things you should do if you're devoted to God. Then he says this, uh, and he says, don't even begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Now, Shalem, Abraham was the father of Israel, a father of Judah, or father of Judaism, sorry. Uh, and so the, the people of Israel often looked to him and said, you know, basically because of our, our heritage, our religious heritage, we are saved. Because uh, we are Jewish, uh, God forgives us, God blesses us, and all we have to do is be Jewish. Well, John is reminding them that God is actually looking for more than just Jewishness. He wants faithfulness as well. And so um, he's saying these things to them. Uh, that they're saying that basically it's not just your religious heritage. He says this too. He says, The axe is already at the root of the trees, or sorry, at trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So the crowd, they're pretty excited about what he's saying. They're a little bit, uh, okay, so John, this is pretty powerful stuff. How do we respond? They said, What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man or the woman, the people with two tunics, should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Lydia, essentially, he is saying here, share. If you have some, share. If you have extra, give it away. Help others who have nothing. And then the next thing, this is kind of surprising, uh, is that uh, tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they say, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required, John told them. Now, tax collectors, we don't really have those today. At least I can't think of any like buddy who comes around gathering tax from us, we always just send ours in. <clears throat> but in, uh, in the ancient times, in, in Israel at this time, they were actually occupied by the Roman army or by the, the Roman Empire. And so Rome would come and they would conquer a land and then they would demand taxes from it. So, Hunter, can you believe this? That they would get, they'd get their own people, they'd get Jewish people to collect taxes from their friends and neighbors. But this is how tax... Uh, collectors made their money. Marshall, this is how they made their fortune. They would collect not only their tax that was required, but they'd say, you owe me another 50% on top of that. That's how they made their fortune. That's how they got so rich. It was by taking extra money from their own people. So you can imagine, not only were they like traitors, but people hated them because they were taking more than they deserved or more than they needed to. And so John says to them, notice he doesn't say quit doing your job. He says, do your job fine, but do it fairly. Don't take any more than it's required. Then some soldiers ask him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. 
So against, uh, essentially here, he's saying something similar, Wendy. He's saying, don't, do more than you, don't take more than you need. Don't abuse your power, but continue doing your job. And he says, when you do your job, be content with what you're given. So, understandably, the people are kind of excited. They hear him speaking uh, things that they haven't heard in a long time, speaking like a prophet, and they begin to wonder. Luke tells us, the people were waiting expectantly, waiting expectantly for a Savior, for a Messiah, and they were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ, which is the Greek version or the Greek word for Messiah, for Savior, anointed one. And so they're wondering about these things, to which John responds to them all. He says, John answered them all and said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's saying here, I am not the Messiah. In fact, I am so not the Messiah that Mackenzie, he's saying that I'm not even eligible to untie his shoes. I can't even act like his servant. The one who's coming after me is going to be way more important, way more powerful. I baptize you right now. I dip you into the Jordan River. He's going to dip you into the Spirit of God and fire. Talking about power and about God's presence in our lives. He says not only that though, he says, the winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay, who here this fall uh, harvested your own wheat? Anybody? You did? You harvested your own wheat? Wheat. Wheat. No, okay. I was, like, I was like, wait a minute. I know where you live. I saw no wheat fields. Weeds. Oh, you harvested your weeds. Yes. Okay. I have... Has anybody here harvested wheat ever once in your life? Okay, so a few of you might know about this. I have no idea what goes into harvesting wheat, especially in the ancient times. So... And I imagine most of us, most of the younger kids, oh yeah, I'm going to say this, a little Freudian slip there. Most of us younger kids, right? No. Most of you younger kids uh, probably have no idea what goes into, especially uh, the ancient way of gathering wheat. So I have this uh, uh, quick clip here uh, to just show you. So watch this. Okay, so to the pitchfork there that he's using, that's actually a winnowing fork. There's two names for the same thing. And the guy riding around behind the horse on a sled, that also separates the kernel or the wheat from the chaff. See how they throw it up into the air? What it does is the wheat, the stuff that we actually turn into flour and eat, is heavier and so it falls to the ground while the chaff, the stuff that's useless or just uh, that we don't eat, flies up in the air and flies away. And so this is a way of like filtering out the wheat from the chaff. You see, like, the whole community's gathered doing it. It is a lot of work. All that for some bread, right? All right. Um, so essentially, John is saying that there's a Savior who is coming who's one going to gather the wheat. Let's go back to the passage here. He's going to gather the wheat. Um, and this is essentially saying the, the things that he's desiring, the things that he wants. He's going to gather the wheat, gather his disciples, gather the people of God, and he's going to separate out the chaff, those who reject him. Now, it's the separating out that is, that's complicated. I feel it 
uh, as a pastor, many of us, you know, the idea of some people following Jesus and then some people who refuse to follow him, what are the consequences of that? And I was thinking about that some this week, about how do I handle that? Because it's not easy, right? We have people we care about, people that we care about who are like, you know, Jesus is, is fine for you, it just doesn't work for me. How do we handle that when Jesus, or when John says that he is separating wheat from chaff? People who follow him um, versus people who don't. And I was thinking some about this because some people say, well, you know, if God's like that, then I don't want anything to do with him. If God's going to condemn some people, then, then no thank you. You know, this is the thing, is that I believe, as I read the scriptures, that God desires everybody to be a part of his family. That's why Jesus died on the cross so that all of us could be included. All we have to do is put our faith in him. So he's opened this way. And it doesn't matter. If you put your faith in him, if you've lived a perfect life, if, you've been, if you were raised in a monastery and grew up to be a, a monk, and you put your faith in Jesus, great, you're in. If you grew up in a slum and you spent 50 years in prison afterward because you broke the law, and then you said, Lord, please forgive me, you're in. It's this amazing grace that God gives. He has the only, the only thing that, that would keep you away from him is not trusting him, not following him. And this is the thing, is because God is holy. We sang about it like over and over again this morning as we were praising him through different songs, talking about how holy God is. And I think this is maybe the thing that we misunderstand, is that God is completely different than us. That he is holy. There is nothing impure, nothing wrong or crooked or bad about him. And so because he is this way, he can't endure our unholiness. The times when I am selfish, the times when I uh, think that, you know, I know this is what God wants to do, but I don't know if I trust it. I'm going to go ahead and do it my own way. The times when, I, uh, when I'm greedy or I hold on to my stuff too much, that these are the sort of things that actually make it impossible for us to be with God. Not like God doesn't like us or who we are, but actually impossible because of our sin, because of our brokenness. And so Jesus has come to take care of that, to die on a cross, to be perfectly holy, and then to pay our penalty on the cross to give us his holiness in a sense, basically to, to, to take all of his righteousness and cover us with it. And so when he's coming to gather his disciples... And to separate out the chaff, as it talks about in this example here, to gather the wheat and separate out the chaff, it's not because God has a grudge against some people. God loves all of us. He desires all of us to be a part of his family. But if we refuse to be righteous or holy through Jesus, then he just, it's not like he can just, well, you know, bend the rules for us. <laughs> can you imagine if we had a God? Can you imagine what a God would be like if he just bent the rules as he felt like it? That's not holiness. That's not justice. That's capricious. That's the sort of gods that, that other, uh, like for example, like the ancient Greeks, that their, their gods were like, the sort of gods that would get mad and zap you with a lightning bolt at the drop of a hat. God is not like that. He is consistent and holy and good. And because of that, we have to be holy too through Jesus. With many other words, John's, John exhorted the people and preach the good news to them. The trouble is, some people didn't like what John was pointing out. They didn't like the fact that John was talking honestly about the ways that they were failing to follow God, the ways that they were actually even sinning in doing it on purpose. Uh, one of them 
John, but when John rebuked Herod, who is one of the leaders in the areas around Israel, uh, the Tetrarch, um, because, of his, because of Herodias, who was his wife at the time, uh, his brother's wife, so he actually, his brother's wife had left his brother and, and joined him and became his wife of sorts. And then all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to all the stuff he had done, he locked John up in prison. Some people, sometimes people don't like to be corrected, especially people in power who become, who become arrogant and begin believing their own press. Sometimes people get defensive. They feel shame. That's sometimes people actually feel shame. When we say, you know, I care about you, but what you're doing is wrong, sometimes people feel shame because they know it's wrong and they don't like that they're doing it. And so sometimes they say, I hear what you're saying. Thank you for pointing it out. How I want to change. But sometimes they respond the other way, surprising ways, they become defensive. And not because they think that you're wrong or they don't, think, or they don't believe you, but actually because they know it and they feel shame about it. And their response is, I feel hurt, and so I'm going to defend myself and they become defensive against us. So that sometimes happens. Sometimes people feel shame. Sometimes people feel rebellious. When we say, you know, what you're doing isn't right, and they say, you know what, I don't care. And they get angry with us because they actually know what they're doing is wrong. They want to keep doing it, and so they become defensive that way. But if we care for somebody, especially you younger ones, this is the hard part. If we care for somebody, we will speak honestly with them. We'll speak, um, as, it's, as Paul uh, talked with a church in Ephesus, he said, speak the truth in love. It will speak truth to people, but lovingly. See, our goal is always to restore. Oh no, Shannon, has it gone too long? Yes. <laughs> He's almost asleep now. <laughs> um, if we speak to people the truth in love, with a desire to help them, to encourage them. I mean, think about it. Um, um, maybe a good example. If we know someone, for example, who smokes. You know, smoking is an addiction. Like, it, like some people start and like they just can't stop. Some people it's easy to stop. Some people it's really hard. Some people I know who've tried for decades and they still just can't quit. So for us to say, you know, it's not good for you. Um, that we're speaking that truth in love. <laughs> because it's not. Smoking is not good for you. It's actually really bad for you. But we say that lovingly. If we say that to shame people or to, to, because we're angry about it, then that's not helpful. That actually has, we need to be the ones who are repenting. We need some help more than they do if we're doing it to shame or to make people feel bad. But if we're doing it because we love someone, because we want to speak the truth to them, then that's different. That's partly what John is doing here. John, this Baptist, the, uh, the Baptist, the one who's baptizing people, the one who's speaking prophetically for God, he's there speaking honestly and lovingly. But sometimes speaking the truth draws people's anger. Sometimes we speak the truth to restore a friend. Sometimes we speak the truth to speak about injustice, things that are not right, things that are wrong. And sometimes we speak out against these things and we have to bear the consequences. John spoke out against what was wrong in Herod's life, a ruler of the people, a leader, who was held up as an example and he's speaking out about the things that he's done wrong. And so Herod, in his arrogance, locks him up and throws him in prison. 
But this is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of God, that sometimes we do hard things even though the consequences are unbearable. We do them because we're devoted to Jesus. This morning, the key point of this passage is prepare the way of the Lord. All of it can be wrapped up in these words. This is what John is saying to us. This is what Luke wants us to hear, especially as we get ready to hear the rest of Luke's gospel, is to prepare the way of the Lord. Now the question is, how do we prepare the way? Like, what does that mean? How do we prepare the way of the Lord in the world around us, right? I mean, some people have enormous uh, power and influence, and they can prepare the way of the Lord differently. But for us here in this community, we prepare the way of the Lord in some simple ways. And these, there's more than this, but I just wanted to offer these to get us started. One of them is what John talked about, sharing and generosity. Share with people. Share with people in our community, our friends and our neighbors, especially those who don't have enough, to share with them. Another one is to help people, to bless people. Uh, two weeks ago, actually, I, just, I was driving by one of my neighbors and I saw him and one of my other neighbors, who was his neighbor who was helping him, uh, his next door neighbor, and they were, um, he has this huge parking area in his driveway and he I could tell like something, I found out, come to find out later, he had some soldier, uh, shoulder injury. He was pushing a shovel. And then my, my neighbor who has a snowblower in this white area, he was, he was blowing snow, but it would only, it would basically blow the snow off of one spot into the next spot. And then he'd have to get a couple more rows and he'd have to blow that concrete onto the next, and it was just, it was taking him forever. So I said, hey, let me go get my quad. It has a plow on it. I'll come down and help. So I just came down and it took me a few minutes. We plowed um, and these are the sort of things that we can do to help people, to be a blessing. Later, uh, a couple days later, um, Jim said, hey, Dad, uh, one of our neighbors uh, brought this bag of cookies for us. Uh, it's just a way to be a blessing. And so these are ways that we can prepare the way in the world around us. Another way that is a little bit more complicated is to speak out against injustices, to resist injustice in our community, in the world around us, to not, com- to not participate in it, but even to speak out and say, you know what, this is wrong. As we as Christians, we have a role to play in this. We have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. But all this preparing the way for the Lord out in the world around us, all of that has to begin with preparing the way of the Lord for the, world, uh, for the Lord in our own lives, in our own hearts. Because if we try to prepare the way of the Lord in the world around us without first having Jesus in us, it's just, it's just it's kind of a grab bag of like whatever makes sense to me, whatever I think is right, even whether it's right or wrong. But if we have Jesus in us, if we're following him faithfully, then our sense of right and wrong is not just what seems good to me, but actually what God is teaching me. So we need this foundation. We need to have prepare the way for Jesus into our own lives. I'm curious, is anybody here, maybe just... Any ideas on how we can prepare the way for the Lord in our own lives? Any thoughts? Just raise your hand. Mackenzie, was that you raising your hand? I know you don't have Curtis here to... (laughs) You don't have Curtis here to raise your hand for you? Willing to change? Right. Right. Right? Yeah, openness to change. Absolutely. 
Corbin or Shailen, you guys have any ideas? Roland, this is your last chance to speak before you have to go home next week. Lydia, do you have any ideas? You, spoke, you said one of them today in the children's message. Yes. Got a little prompting from Natanya. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rudy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Colleen. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. I know there's a psychological phenomenon that basically if you yell help, everybody goes the other direction. <laughs> if you yell fire, then people show up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of things I was thinking about us for this week, and one of them was one that uh, Lydia had some help with about reading scripture. One of the ways we prepare the way for the Lord in our own lives is reading scriptures, reading especially the Gospels about Jesus, about who he is and what he said and what he taught and what he was like, how deeply he cared for us. That's one of the ways that we, we prepare the way for the Lord in our lives is reading scripture. Another one is repenting. And I know that in the world around us, repentance and sin, all that stuff gets kind of like a bad rap. You know, I, I'm saying this to, to help us is I pray uh, kind of every day, well, I pray every day, most days, uh, and I always have this part where I'm asking God, Lord, please, please forgive me. And now, you know, some people might think, well, you're the pastor, like, what could you possibly be doing? Why do you need to pray every day asking for forgiveness? You know, and for me, um, like, I don't, I haven't, I don't really think of anybody like I've ripped off or, you know, anybody that I've beat up or anything like that, but I do have an issue of my own self, of selfishness, I do have an issue in myself of, of uh, miser. I don't know like the better way to describe that. Is like, uh, it's not like I'm ambitious for more and more and more. It's not like greed necessarily, but I'm really careful with what I have and actually too careful. So miserly. So I am constantly asking God and, and too I realize too, like I rely a lot on myself. Like it's, I, I know I should trust God. I know that theologically, but sometimes I fail at that. Actually a lot I fail at that. And so I'm constantly asking God for forgiveness. And I, and I know like sometimes in the world around us, people say, you know, that's the problem with you Christians. You guys are always on this constant guilt trip, beating yourselves up. Like that's all just a bunch of, it's like a psychological mess. Like no thank you. You know, it doesn't feel that way to me. I don't feel like I'm beating myself up. I actually feel like I'm just giving, like, like it's an honest assessment. Like I'm saying honestly, God, like I recognize this in myself and I'm asking for help. One, Lord, please forgive me for it. And then also, Lord, please help me with it. So repentance helps prepare the way for God in our lives. Because if we're like, you know, no, I'm pretty good. There's nothing wrong here. Like that pretty well shuts down any possibility of Jesus coming closer in our lives. If we say, yeah, no, I've kind of got it figured out. I don't need any more help. Thank you. It's hard for Jesus to work with that. But if we're asking God for help, if we're saying, Lord, I realize I fail, I mess up. Please help me. That's like doors wide open. Jesus, come in.
The last thing I just wanted to mention to you is giving thanks. And this is something that I have, surprisingly, after so many years of following Jesus, stumbled onto in just the last few months of giving thanks. Of giving thanks and receiving. Receiving, first of all, Jesus. So when we say, Lord God, please forgive me. Receiving him when he comes. Not saying, well, I'm going to wait a bit. I'm going to hold off. I'm going to see if I can't last a little longer on my own. But actually receiving him, receiving his presence, his help. But also, too, is giving thanks. Giving thanks for what he's done, the fact that he's set us free from sin, that he has made a way for us back to our Father in heaven, that he's done all these things, giving him thanks for this, but also like the tiniest things, like the fact that we get to sit next to each other here this morning. Like, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for this place that we live. This is <laughs> I'm trying to find some, the beauty of the snow, even though there's so much of it out there, the beauty of it, to give God thanks. So these are ways that we prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives. Reading scripture, learning about Jesus, who he is, repenting, asking God for forgiveness, and then giving thanks because he's done that. This morning, I hear John proclaiming, getting us ready to hear Jesus as we get ready to work into the next few bits of Luke's gospel here about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. But this morning specifically, I hear him speaking to us saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord in the community around us through blessing and helping people but also prepare the way of the Lord in our own lives through reading scripture, through prayer of repentance, and giving thanks. Amen.